veterans out there. Thank you for your service. This is the Street Smart Mental Health Podcast. We are coming to you, as always, from the Lou Fuse Automotive Group Studio. My name is Michael Wellington, and the man across the table from me is my tag team partner. Many of you know him as the Natty King. His name is Brandon McNamee. Brandon, what is happening today, my man? No, you know I'm all right today. Last night I was in rough shape. (laughs) Good. Glad to hear that. Today, we've got a very uh, unique podcast. We've got two guests in here. We've got the founders and the creators of Project Wake Up, Alex Lindley and Danny Kurth. Gentlemen, welcome. How are you? Thanks for having us, Mike. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks for having us, boys. Yeah, we're excited to have you guys here. I've known about you guys for a handful of years, at least, and just wanted to kind of bring you guys in and, and talk a little bit about the details of Project Wake Up, where it started, what you guys are, have done in the past, what you guys are, are planning on doing in the future, because what you're doing is spectacular and people out there need to hear about it. So tell our listeners, and either one of you can go first, but tell our listeners a little bit about where Project Wake Up stems from. Sure. Danny and I both went to Mizzou. We were there from 2011 through 2015 and you know had the greatest time of our lives, no doubt, as, as anyone can attest, living in Columbia. It's a good time. I've spent time there. Oh, my gosh, man. But we had, unfortunately, pretty unique experiences as well there. Our freshman year, we lost a dear friend, Carolyn, to suicide. She was a beautiful, bright light in our lives and, and someone that you never really would have thought. And I know anyone who's in this space has, has heard that many times. It's never the people that you expect. That was our first real experience with suicide and, and really tragedy in general. We were only 18, 19 years old. It was kind of a bottled up experience. We really, we didn't have that maturity or really the wherewithal to talk about what had happened. Carolyn had died and we didn't really talk about why. We kept going on only two years later within the same sort of extended group of friends, we lost Brian Candace, who was one of my childhood best friends, a brother to me, someone that I'd grown up with, met at Parkway Middle School, went on to DeSmet with, on to Mizzou with, someone that truly was as close as a friend could be. And that was truly the moment where if you've got a group of friends that loses one friend to suicide and you don't talk about it, and it happens again in such close proximity, it's something that you need to do something to change that narrative and to hopefully try to help folks not have that experience within their friend groups. And the circumstances of Ryan's passing as well kind of lit a fire under me to get something going. He went into an emergency room the day he passed away. He said that he didn't want to live anymore. They asked him few basic questions. Uh, They performed a suicide risk assessment. They had to do so because at the time, the hospital didn't have enough inpatient beds for people who were having suicidal thoughts. He, for whatever reason, he didn't pass the risk assessment. Maybe he didn't open up to the hospital well enough, or maybe they just didn't have enough beds at the time. 
they turned him away. They gave him a form for uh, rec for outpatient care, and and nine hours later he was gone. So that bottled with losing Carolyn just two years later, I felt that the fact that we didn't speak of it was not as much the maturity factor, but also the stigma, which was incredibly strong in 2012 and, and has luckily subsided quite a bit. But those two factors of trying to get people to open up to eradicate that stigma and the systematic failures that I think took my best friend's life, those really motivated me to do something. And I had the idea of creating a a film about Ryan's life to serve as this sort of catalyst to get the conversation started because Ryan was incredibly incredibly well-loved at Mizzou and in St. Louis. He was the most popular guy that I had ever met by all metrics. He was literally the most gregarious guy, had all the ladies. He was friends with everyone in every different circle, which was something that I'd always admired. And when a guy like that feels that they have to leave this earth, something is really wrong. And I think that that is a perfect story to kind of launch off of because everybody's got a Ryan in their lives in one way or another. So rallied the troops during a very difficult time in in our lives. And lo and behold, they all bought in with the thought of doing something and trying to convert our grief into some sort of uplifting and inspiring journey. And we set off to make a just a little movie, a low budget little, we thought nothing crazy, but what has developed over the last eight and a half years is nothing short of shocking to me, honestly, looking back on it. And I've done a lot of talking. I think Danny can kind of pick up, but what we set out to do and what has, has actually transpired are two incredibly different things. There's a lot of people to thank for that. But at the end of the day, it's just proof that this issue is something that resonates and that everybody experiences and has been touched by. And any success that we've had is 100% attributable to the fact that every single person is affected by suicide, either directly or indirectly. And it's too long been uh, spoken on hushed tones. Yeah, for sure. I mean, first of all, like, Alex does not give himself enough credit for not only coming up with this idea, but really taking a bunch of college kids in a very vulnerable place that collectively could have been going down a much darker path where grief isn't understood properly. And that's managed in ways that are very easy to find in college. And he took something that could have gone very wrong and made it very, very right through his efforts. And so it has been nothing short of an honor and a privilege to work alongside him for for this many years. And we had our downtown apartment where we basically, I'd get home from work, he'd get home from law school, and we'd just put nose of the grindstone on this project for years and years. And it's amazing to see where we've come since then. But going back to his, his description of this little film, I think that what happened was we created a GoFundMe page and just kind of figured that we would get a few shares here and there. Somebody's parents might see it and want to help us out. And before we knew it, this little video shot on an iPhone that we did ended up raising like 30 grand overnight. And we realized that we actually had something real on our hands. And that's when 
we got in touch with a gentleman named Nate Townsend, who's St. Louis native, lives out in California now, who was just finishing up film school at the time. And he had experienced loss, not a suicide, but loss in a way that he empathized with us, with with his brother. And so I think that he kind of felt compelled to to take our story on. But he, he quickly grounded us really quickly in a sense that 30,000 and which ended up plateauing to, I think, about 50, 55, something like that was a drop in the bucket for the kind of documentary that we wanted to produce. The costs of what we anticipated a film being and what Hollywood has as a reality are in two completely different galaxies. And so that basically was the start of our journey into making this a fully nonprofit effort where we were going to use events and opportunities to fundraise. So Alex, myself, Claudia and her sister, Mary, Elise, Molly, trying to shout out as many people as possible, Nick, Jack, Morgan, if I'm forgetting you, it's not intentional, but we basically just hunkered down over three and a half years to put on trivia nights, golf tournaments, partnerships with like Kendra Scott over, yeah, you know, doing these events to sell jewelry and get a profit share. It's just really like grassroots efforts that somehow St. Louis really latched on to. I guess we should have known that trivia nights wouldn't have been a surprise considering that that and St. Louis go hand in hand. It was just really overwhelming to see how well St. Louis latched on to something that Anywhere else where the community isn't as tight-knit, they would have just been like, oh, well, that's just a bunch of 20-year-olds who don't know what they're doing. So for them to trust our vision and see the whole thing through, and now we're we're pushing probably closer to a million dollars raised than any other figures for the past eight years that we've been around. So yeah, it's that'll be a really, really special milestone for us once oh, yeah. we finally hit that. But yeah, you know, it took us a long time just to get the budget for the documentary. I think that we were able to finally start filming in what late 2017 is mm. when we went to Florida. Mm. I think so. It was 18. Was it 18? Okay. Yeah. yeah. 17 was uh was the tour of going and, and convincing these DC. talking heads and experts to be a part of a movie that a mm-hmm. bunch of kids are putting together. Yep. And that was that was a, an, another uh Another challenge in and of itself, but I was always just really inspired by the trust and sort of encouragement that we got from people in all aspects. And I think that includes you as well, Mike. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I can piggyback off what you're saying. So I was lucky to see the documentary. You guys had a really a couple of showings at the Chase Park Plaza, <laughs> summer of. 18 or 19, maybe? 19. 19, yeah. yeah. And I can remember I took a girl who I'd never met before. It was her first date. I took her to the viewing of the, of mm-hmm. the movie. And um, I was so moved by the documentary that I told her, hey, I got to take you home after the viewing because I got to go to my place and get my checkbook and get down to the year after party and give you guys a check. Because <laughs> what I saw, and hopefully people that are listening to this will end up here, you know, going and, and searching out your documentary. It was so perfect the way you guys explained it and refreshed my recollection a little bit in the sense that you had, wasn't there a hotline or a phone line that was created that you based the, the documentary around. Can you guys talk a little bit about that? That it was a, it was a kid from LSU that died, yes. right? Yeah. So at Mizzou, I was a, in a fraternity of Sigma Chi, and it kind of coincided with the real start of this film. We were 
trying to raise money. So I was going to everybody I could to solicit donations. And that sort of translated to Sigma Chi, the fraternity in general. And I was put in touch with the gentleman who lost his son at LSU. He was a Sigma Chi. He was a freshman who coincidentally (laughs) took his own life just a week before Carolyn did. Wow. So I think this would have been, say... Spring 2012. Yes. Oh, oh, as well. Um, Sorry. But when I met, when I, uh, when I got the number, I, was, I went out to visit Nate in LA. And this was right after we graduated 2015. And I had this number and I was kind of hesitant about making a call because this is just cold calling somebody who had lost their son to suicide three years prior. It's a tough conversation to have to reopen those wounds, especially in a spur of the moment phone call from a stranger. Absolutely. So I was sitting on that number for a while, but I went up on a hike one day and just kind of had one of those moments of thought about just looking back on it, looking to the future of, of what, what was going to possibly be a more legitimate journey than we thought based on our initial crowdfunding and, and what we thought we could actually produce a, a legitimate film. So I, I got off that hike and I decided to make that call. And it was to a man named Michael Ziblich, who had lost, again, lost his son in, in 2012. And it was sort of like, hey, this is what I'm doing. I've heard about what you guys are doing. I hope someday we can find a way to to work together. They were fundraising for their hotline, which was called the Keller Ziblich hotline. And I think it was only available to Sigma Chi students. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it's expanded. Uh, other Greek organizations, possibly. But in Keller's situation, much like Ryan's a systematic failure, he called five different hospitals in Baton Rouge area and was essentially ignored, mm-hmm. denied. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. So that was their fire under the ass moment and, and push them towards setting up a lifeline that as even if it is just Sigma Chi, I mean, that is, could be accessed by hundreds of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And as a blueprint for other organizations. Right. So had a great chat with the man, just kind of left that alone. Nothing, nothing of it. Then as we progress with our fundraising efforts, and started gearing more towards, oh my gosh, we're actually going to be able to make this happen. And we start thinking about what is this going to be? My initial vision was, this is a movie about my best friend. This is about Ryan. And that was it. That was where I was. And I was incredibly hard set on that. And then in talking to our director and talking to experts in the area, it became clear that it would be more impactful if it touched a broader audience and looked sort of in an overhead view of, of the United States instead of small pocket of a frat guy in, in Midwest United States. And I was incredibly apprehensive about that, but eventually saw that that was the right decision. And we sort of broadened out and said, we need to then tell stories from different pockets of the country. And the light bulb went off in my head about Michael Ziblich. And I called him. It had been, at that point, two and a half years since I'd spoken to him. And after a 20-minute phone call, 
he and his wife agreed to be in the film with a, a bunch of first time filmmaking, you know, 22 year old kids. So consider them to be a second set of parents at this point. It has been an incredible serendipitous encounter with them. And it is a silver lining in a horrible situation. And that's a common theme that I think we've experienced throughout the last eight and a half years. But I say that because that was to me the most, I'd say the most powerful part of that film is when Michael Ziblich, who after losing his son, he sort of had the same sort of fire and passion to turn the tragedy on its head, if you will. And he began public speaking and seeing him up there, starting with a small crowd, then a larger crowd, and then a full auditorium of people. I mean, that, that chokes me up. I've seen the movie about a hundred times. Each time I see it, it gets me. And it's awesome that that resonated with you. Totally. That was sort of just an incredible chance encounter that he was in the film. The other stories in the film, I didn't really have, you know, I had input on, Danny had input on, but it was really Nate who mm-hmm. sought those out. sought those out and made, it is a sell. It really was a sell. We are novice filmmakers mm-hmm. and it's a movie about suicide. Anyone that is involved in this, other than maybe the talking heads, are, it's an extremely raw topic. It's either they've lost someone or they've attempted themselves. So the fact, again, that there are people out there giving credence and faith to what we'd done and seeing that what we're trying to accomplish and actually going through with it, I mean, that is, we wouldn't be here without that sort of level of, of trust and faith that people have put into us. So I'm always grateful for that. So what is this documentary called? It's called Wake Up Stories from the Front Lines of Suicide Prevention. Okay, so anybody listening, obviously, they can Google that or... Well, the timing's good for for us right now, not to go too deeply into the weeds, but our anticipation is that we're finally going to be able to have the documentary for public viewing here probably within the next 90 days or so, oh, would shit, you say? Perfect. Awesome. Yeah, we, yep. just, we just signed with the distribution company. It's been a long journey. So it's about mm-hmm. to roll out. Yeah. Yep. So... Congratulations, we'll thank dudes. you. Thanks, yeah. man. Awesome. I can hear your passion, man. I love it. <laughs> we love it. I appreciate it. I can't it. wait to see this. Yeah, it's it's, it's been good. a journey of we, we did these private screenings and then we anticipated this really big film festival run. It's like summer nineteen and yeah, how got, na- how naive we were during the it? we got into the Newport Beach. Newport Beach. Yeah. And my God, that would have been just the coolest experience ever. Uh-huh. Like it's packed with with it, all sorts of folks, celebrities. It's uh-huh. run. It's run by I can't. I can't remember, but like yeah. a huge old school celebrity, yep. movie star, and and then all it of a sudden, was March twenty seventh, I think twenty twenty was it when it was scheduled. Yeah, like that. So oh, you didn't Uncle get to COVID. do it, no, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh. So by by early March, we had realized that our plans had shifted dramatically. But yeah, you know, we yeah. we were continuing to get into film festivals, but eventually we realized we have to figure something out. And we were really fortunate to come across an opportunity um, that YouTube was putting on in coordination with Tribeca, Khan, Sundance, TIFF, all the big, big film festivals called We Are One, where we were really one of the only original films that actually kind of premiered. But it was primarily kind of this curated film festival of like classic films and stuff where a lot of the actors and directors would come back and like have discussions on it and kind of talk about these films that they they did in the past. But we got an opportunity to have a pretty like fantastic time slot of like 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. our time on one of the days of 
this film festival and then host a Q&A afterwards with Nate and Alex and members of the of the film festival. And, you know, tens of thousands of people watched it concurrently. It was one of those things that was really special for us because, sure, it wasn't our big Newport Beach or whatever it might have been right. film festival premiere, but it was in this time where everybody was just so vulnerable and like didn't really know what was going on with the world. And we were able to at least say, well, you can at least sit down for 90 minutes and watch this film and at least have kind of this renewed sense of hope about where things are going. Mm -hmm. And so it was, I'll always be really thankful for, for that moment in time that we were able to, to do that for people. And then from there, We've gone on and worked with different companies to help facilitate, whether it's corporate screenings, educational screenings, everyone from what Spectrum to Pfizer to the United Way has screened this documentary for chapters in various offices across the U.S. And so from my understanding, it's six figures worth of people have viewed this across the United States, yeah. which is flattering and great. But now to have the public in front of it is just the icing on the cake. You got that many before it's even up for public viewing. Right. That's going to be impactful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled that it's coming available. That is what this is. It is a public utility. Mm -hmm. It is something that I think every everybody should encourage their their friends and family to watch. And I mean, it's been almost three years since we had those screenings. Two and a half years. Mm -hmm. It's it's about time. I'm excited. I mean, I think that that documentary should be in every high school in America. In my yeah. opinion, get every 15, 16 year old kid to watch that and learn. Yeah. You know, the thing that really hits me about you guys, and I've gotten to know you a little bit the last number of years, I'm a little bit older. I think you guys are maybe 14, 15 years younger than me, but I had a group of friends that went to Mizzou and, and I didn't go there, but I worked there. So I got a little bit of time there. But I think after I went to the screening at the Chase Park Plaza, then I went to your, the after party that night afterwards and got a chance to be around you guys and see all of you with your friends and interacting. And I felt like you guys reminded me a lot of my friends that went to Mizzou, which probably makes a lot of sense. But speak a little bit about this friend group that you guys have, because the thing that I love most about what you guys have done, it's like, okay, we had something happen bad once and it happened again, and we're not letting it happen again. And I think that's that says a lot to your friend group. So talk a little bit about the people that have helped you with this and that group of friends that's really... I know you guys are the catalysts and the leaders, but I know that there's other people that are supporting you with this as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's absolutely no way this happens without, and it, it was it was a big group. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a group that trusted into an idea that was honestly just out of left field. Just something that I thought of, I'd listened to. Robin Williams had just taken his own life that mm -hmm. summer, right after Ryan died. And I'd listened to a podcast that had discussions about mental health and suicide, talked about Robin Williams's life. And it was like, okay, this media, whether it be podcast, documentary, whatever, that's the way to absorb and understand the exact feeling that it feels to lose someone in that moment. And maybe I was being overly projective because it was happening at that time to me. But putting that out there in a medium that people can really absorb and feel, I thought, documentary. So taking that gamble and sending that out there to a group of 30 people and they signed on to that idea, it was so invigorating in such a shitty time. And from there, the energy that they had to make this happen 
was it is just it's it's beautiful to look back on to see how broken those kids were and to know that they really could just convert that into love and passion for Ryan and for each other. I mean, it's beautiful to think about. We spent hours coming up with a little PSA, writing the script, filming one by one. Like you guys have seen the the most stereotypical PSAs in the world. They're in black and white. And it's a person says a line, the next person, the next person, the next person. Well, we copy that, (laughs) of course. So we're all, you know, all these kids are taking their time. They're getting into a house and filming this PSA. They're spreading the word like none other about this GoFundMe. And then we're all sitting there at ITAP in Columbia seeing that GoFundMe meter just like exploding mm-hmm. and just all just yeah. elated in, in that moment in time. I remember sitting there just with the beer, just looking at them, looking at them like excited. Yeah. And this is, uh, this is only, I don't know, 180 days since the worst day of most mm-hmm. of their lives thus far. So it was really an incredible sort of dichotomy of feelings that, that we experienced there. And then from there, we filmed this short. That was the way that we got to Nate Townsend. He said, well, you guys have about $30,000. That's great. That'll pay for like cameras and, and right. audio <laughs> microphones. <laughs> and maybe we can feed the cameraman some you know, lion's choice or something. Mm-hmm. That's about all you get. So it was his brilliant decision honestly we'll make like a 10 minute video and then you guys can use that 10 minute video as like your sales point for donors to facilitate a full great idea film. so we did that we filmed that over spring break in senior year we went to hilton head to film it because that was ryan's favorite place we spread his ashes out in the atlantic ocean and this whole group, again, still, still there doing that. Some people couldn't make the trip who were involved in Wake Up. People were filmed, interviewed. They took time. We were interviewing for seven days in Columbia, mm-hmm. a few days in St. Louis. I mean, these, these folks are putting in time. And then we got our 501c3 that summer, and that's when the, the serious fundraising began. Mm-hmm. And that was a whirlwind of work yeah. for, for everybody involved. Those trivia nights were, God, everybody's out there soliciting auction items, looking for donations, trying to sell tables. And we packed the hell out of that place. I mean, we had about 700 people at those trivia nights. Dude, people don't, like saying it sounds like people don't realize how much work goes into one trivia night. Mm -hmm. Like how much work goes into the logistics behind the items, behind the winners, behind the place the fucking promotion of people don't realize that so that's i applaud you dude that is a lot of work well yeah alex your mom is the unsung hero of all of that just (laughs) because she's such a professional doing these before so she basically had this toolkit of she's got the she's got the raffle tickets already she's got the Mm -hmm. 50 50 tickets the spinners these template sheets for auction items and stuff and so for as daunting as it was we at least had like a roadmap of how to do it which was incredibly helpful so shout out to kim lindley for that (laughs) god bless kim it was quite a team effort there. That trivia night, I think the first one was the winter of 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we'd started the first time we raised like 35,000. Mm-hmm. The next year we raised like 70,000. Yeah. The next year wow. we raised 70,000. Mm-hmm. And then we start peppering in golf tournaments each year. Oh, Those are even more difficult to put together. I mean, I mean it Amen. was, you know, how it, is. it became a serious task and everybody involved 
is just literally, I mean, we wouldn't be nearly capable of any of the, the major things of the film without that effort uh, mm-hmm. that they put into this. And that goes back to kind of what I was saying. It, it's a signal of how strong your friend group is. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of it started in St. Louis when y'all were in high school, but then you go to Columbia and you, you get even closer there. And, and I think that is... You know, I just I kind of think about my friend group of, from Mizzou, and if, if we had someone that we lost, I would hope that my friend group would react. But what you guys have done is just spectacular. I mean, it, to turn this double horrible negative into an incredibly positive situation, I mean, um, what you guys have done is, is amazing. We've covered a lot of things here. Let's take a quick break and come back to Street Smart. We've been here for over 70 years, giving back to community charities, local organizations, and youth athletics. And now we're the official automotive sponsor of St. Louis City SC. We've been here, providing the best car buying experience to our customers. Lou Fuse, we are here with the respect you deserve for 70 years and counting. Welcome back to Street Smart. We're going to get right back to the action right now. What's going on moving forward? You have events coming up. What uh, you, see, you mentioned the documentary mm-hmm. a little bit more about it, but are there, is there anything people can look into about supporting you guys moving forward? Yeah, I think 2023 is going to be a really good year for us because now that the documentary is going to be public, it's kind of an opportunity for us to turn the page a little bit and figure out what's next. For us, there's a few things that are really important. One is we want to continue to be a leader in quote unquote mental health content, especially in the documentary realm. So we want to figure out what's next in terms of this story. The ironic thing is that for getting this film into into festivals across the U.S. in 2020, it says nothing about COVID and COVID and its impact on everybody's mental health is like so significant that it has to be covered. So talking about how that might fit into another, whether it's a documentary, a docu-series is super interesting to us on the national or I'm sorry, on the statewide level at the University of Missouri, we just wrapped up the funding for the Ryan J. Candace Memorial whoa, whoa, Scholar. Whoa, whoa. We just hit our first goal. Well, okay, you're right. We have yes. moved the goalposts, but I think we're going to be we're, we're going to be contributing to that for as long as I am capable of, of breathing. But but yes, it covers students studying mental health social work at the University of Missouri, nice. and so. For me, I think something that's really interesting is you look at fields like mental health, social work, educators, even journalists, and it's like kind of bottom of the barrel in terms of salary. And it's like what these industries really need is you can start with scholarships, right? But it's about finding a way to make these more competitive industries so that people are more motivated to go and do these things. And so whether it's about truth in journalism or whether it's about finding meaning through helping others by in mental health social work. I think that there's something super important about making these jobs just as competitive as anything else that you can find out there so that you're actually driving people with motivation and and passion to make a change. And I think that 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 also kind of inspires me to want to make potential moves to get legislation moving in terms of insurance parity, because that, that is the driving factor, I think, beyond the cost of, of education for psychiatrists, psychologists, mental health social workers. Insurance parity is terrible. 
Well, I can talk to you about this because as a person living with bipolar, I am not allowed to have life insurance. I have had in the last, I'd say 15 years, I've had five different friends of mine in the life insurance world try and get me life insurance because of my medical history with bipolar. I cannot get life insurance. So I can go and have a podcast like this. I can go around the country and do speaking engagements on bipolar. But if I were to happen to pass away, I can't leave anything to my nieces and nephews. And to your point, the insurance companies are kind of an issue, I'd that's say. That's fucked up. True story, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Oh, man. That's awful. Yeah. I had no idea. That's, well, and, that's... and the reason is, is kind of because of what you guys are fighting for. Bipolar has the highest rate of suicide of all mental illness. So people just assume, well, if you have it, you're like in the percentage that could commit suicide. So I'm with you on the insurance thing, brother. That yeah. is terrible. Dude. I didn't yeah, it's think of that up. facet of it. That makes mm-hmm. me hate him even more. Right. I could go on about that for a long time, but, you know, I'll digress. Wow, man. Yeah. I mean, I literally had good friends of mine and I had friends of mine that heard that I couldn't get it and be like, oh, I can get it. Right. Like, go ahead. Please <laughs> go, go right ahead. You know, yeah. go ahead and get it. But and that's OK. You know, that's just the way it is. But to your point, I mean, it's just uh, the insurance wow. people are uh, they're really something. Yeah. I mean, just because that's the way it is doesn't mean it's OK. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't like it, but I'm not going to yeah. I'm not going to allow it to bother me too much because mm-hmm. I've known about it now for a number of years. But right. is there anything you know, I would call you guys definitely experts on this topic of suicide, right? Just because of you've seen it up close, all the work you've done. What can people do to, to look for it? Or I know, you know, the story with Ryan, you never saw that coming, right? That was a blindside situation, right? But I mean, are there things that people can do to make themselves more aware of it? Or, you know, is there anything you can do to look for it? I think for me, I almost start with the person suffering as opposed to the friend, just because I think that, as you said, it, it like with Ryan, it, it was so hard to identify right. that if you are feeling a certain way, it's about not suffering in silence. And so, you know, I feel like we kind of it's it's tough to say because there's nothing tangible to like being able to identify these things. There is something of an intuition to it. And I think that we kind of both have that. But with the people who are suffering, how are you supposed to get help if you can't tell others what you can't you're verbalize through? it? Right, yeah. exactly. And so I, I think that really the the toughest thing is just like eliminating that internal layer of shame that you feel because depression is not your fault. Suicidality is not your fault. Like these are feelings that people go through. It's not something that anybody can control. And so it's hard to kind of disconnect that in your thought process in your mind. But if you're able to do that, that's kind of the first step towards being able to to tell whether it's friends or family members that this is what I'm going through and I, I just need some help. Dude, that is perfectly said. Very well said. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore. It's tough, though. It doesn't make sense in a lot of people's brains the way that I'm putting it. It's just you you can't always just let go and and kind of put that in other people's hands. But the moment that you can and recognize that there are brighter moments ahead, that's when things can change for the better. Absolutely. And I, I also think it can be very simple in that you, you don't really know how powerful it is to just check in on people and, mm-hmm. and not necessarily like in an intrusive way. But I can tell you right now, I have lost two friends to suicide. Yet I can get so wrapped up in my work and my job that I just stop talking, texting my friends and, and, and checking in on them. So anybody can completely go away from that. But what's incredibly important is to check in on people. 
and just see how they're doing. You'll never know how, uh, how that call is going to affect somebody or if mm-hmm. they'll open up to you. At least one time in, in my life in the last four years, somebody has opened up about it just from a simple phone call, checking in to see, you know, how you're doing, uh, letting people know that you're out there and that you care. And if you do get the sense that somebody is potentially going through some, some level of suicidality, uh, don't be afraid to ask tough questions. Don't be afraid to ask if they've thought of harming themselves or ask if you know your buddy has a gun in his house means you can't take your own life without the means. So it's incredibly important to uh, intervene in specific circumstances. But that all starts with a simple conversation. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to do. It's very also very easy to forget to check in on people. So yeah, my my thing is send the text. If you're thinking about somebody and they just come across your mind because you haven't spoken to them in a few months, don't just think about them. Reach out. There's no harm in doing so. And you never know whose life you're going to touch by doing that. Yeah, I think what you guys have just said there, that's something me and Brandon have talked about in some of these episodes we've done. And it's just talk about it, man. Let's make the conversation louder. Let's We're going to make you know, it cool to talk about put, it. Yeah, put it all out on the table. Because when you run into trouble is when you're quiet and you, and you don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Where can people uh, learn about Project Wake Up? You guys want, can you share some websites or some social media sites? Yeah, yeah. ProjectWakeUp.org is the website. So we'll, we'll be having some updates on that pretty soon with where the documentary is going and things like that. You know, it'll be on iTunes Store, Amazon, things like that. And there'll be a big pre-order push. Or trust me, we're going to be bothering the heck out of people trying to get that thing pre-ordered so we can make a big push before it comes out. And then say we're probably most active on Instagram, which is wake up documentary, all one word. That's kind of our main feed for posts. The uh, the the 20 to 30 somethings living on Instagram is is kind of the, the main place that we go. Yeah, no TikTok. Twitter, Twitter's not exactly a, a fruitful place for mental health discussions, believe it or not. Very yeah, true. I believe you. Uh, when is the next trivia night? I'm looking at June or July. Yeah. So summer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, summer. Yeah. Okay. And then... Uh, Golf tournament again as yeah, well in the summer? Yeah, stay tuned. Uh, October, yeah. September. Okay. We're in, a weird, we're in a weird flux with the golf tournaments because our demographic is in this crazy wedding Every yep. weekend oh, season. It's wedding season for you and all your friends, isn't it? Oh, man. It's crazy. I remember it. Yep. <laughs> exactly. It's, the guy did like 11 weddings in one in the summer of 07. Something That's like impressive. that. Something crazy like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, it was wild. Yeah. His, but, his last summer was for the books. So the record okay. books. You know, I've recently started doing, I started, I got ordained. Oh, you can perform the <laughs> ceremony. Oh, it's the fucking there, funnest time ever. There awesome. you go. Beautiful. It. It's a blast. Mike, uh, you want to get married real quick? Yeah, no, I, I can do I'm it. Good. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, good. but I'll do it right good. now. You, won't even, you don't have to consent to it. That's <laughs> legal. I appreciate that. Well, that's Alex Lindley. That's uh, Danny Kurth. Guys, thanks so much for coming in. I mean, the Definitely. information you, you shared is absolute gold, and what you're doing is spectacular. What you've turned, uh, you know, like I said, this negative into a positive, and, and you're going to end up helping so many people that you'll probably never even hear from, but you'll you'll end up changing their lives for the better. So yes, what you guys um, are doing is powerful, impactful, beyond what you can even understand. Yeah, and I'm we sure will you, uh, we will certainly check back in with you guys, get you back on maybe before uh, one of your events in the summertime. And thanks again for coming in. So for my partner, the Natty King, I'm Michael Wellington. Come see us next time on Street Smart. Love you. <laughs>